And welcome back to another unbelievably thrilling edition of On Stage, Off Stage. I'm George Sapio, and our esteemed guest today is Anne Marie Cummings, the founder and artistic director of the Reader's Theater of Ithaca, which was created in 2010. Emory is a graduate of the Conservatory Drama Program at Carnegie Mellon University and, get this, Oxford, England's British American Drama Academy. I need to drink of water after saying that name. Where she studied under actors Jeremy Irons, Simon Callow, the late Peggy Ashcroft, and the late Sir John Galegood, one of my all-time favorite idols. In 2002, she began writing her own plays, and by 2005, her play India Awaiting ran off-Broadway at the Samuel Beckett Theater in New York City. Followed that up with her play Extremes, which was recently read at New York City's primary stages and was included as part of their primetime reading series. She's written scads and bunches of plays, and her her most recent is Sinkhole, a dark comedy that examines how far people are going to go to feel safe in America. That's a burning topic. It seems like one of the things we're always worried about these days is feeling safe. Welcome to uh, On Stage, Off Stage. Emery Cummings. Hi. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Reader's Theater. This is not full up theater. This is readings, staged readings. Why the readings? Why not the full up productions? Well, you know, I wanted to uh, find a different format than what The Kitchen and the Hangar are doing uh, both local theaters here in Ithaca, New York, the Kitchen Theater uh, and the Hangar Theater. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think the emphasis for us certainly isn't on costume sets, but it tends to be on the acting and the the playwrights' words and um, the themes. You know, choosing plays that address social timely issues and our talkbacks, where professionals in the community, professors from Ithaca College or Cornell University, TC3, can speak about these issues in a way that engages our audience. Your upcoming season is pretty interesting. You're starting off with Collected Stories by Donald Margulies, which we'll talk about in a minute. You're going to follow that up with God of Carnage, which seems to have been all the rage over the past few years. Uh, A play called Should've by Roald Hoffman, which I want to get into talking about. Of In a Forest Dark and Deep by Neil Labute, uh, one that I had particularly not heard of before. And finishing up with Detroit by Lisa Damore. Now, Collected Stories, Donald Margulies, this one's been around for a little while. Um, What makes this one special to lead off your season with? Well, you know, Donald Margulies likes to write about the creative process. Uh, His plays tend to be about artists. Um, He writes about painters. Uh, This one is about writers, and I think this is a community with a lot of writers, so it should be interesting for a lot of people. Um, You know, it's it's two people. It's a student, and it's her mentor, who is a famous writer. And it is a relationship over the course of six years, and we get to see as the audience how that changes, how... You know, I don't want to say that it's akin to Oleana by David Mamet, but it is similar mm. in the sense of there's a power shift that that happens in this play. So it's very interesting. It's it's not the um, the student teacher relationship in a classroom. It all takes place in this famous writer's apartment, and they don't necessarily keep the student teacher relationship. It goes beyond that when the student becomes. Uh, 
a novelist herself and beyond her student years. So um, it, it's fascinating. And it's not just about students and teachers. It's really about um, how we, and this is, this is actually something that Donald Margulies said in his 2002 PBS interview, um, which is up on our blog. Um, the play is about how we, in, in all circumstances, often recreate our family members wherever we go. Elaborate on that one a little bit. It, it is okay. I'm well, going to shut up. You won't yeah. let me talk. Well, in the in the play, collected stories, there are two people. Uh, Lisa is the student, and Ruth is the famous writer. And you know, Lisa doesn't have a family, and so in many ways, Ruth, her teacher, mm -hmm. becomes her family. And Ruth, who's this famous writer, doesn't really have. She's an isolated writer. She doesn't really have a lot of people in her life. And so she turns to Lisa in a way she becomes her daughter. Or in some moments in the play, I almost think it's like a, a therapist-client relationship. And, and so I, in directing the play, I, I said to both of them at times, I said to Barbara Adams, who's playing Ruth, I said, now, you're the therapist. Just lean back in the chair. And I say to Helen T. Clark, who's playing Lisa, you're the client here in this moment and in the place to so lie back on the couch. That's, that's okay, that's an interesting analogy. I mean, looking at the play, I, I know the play, and I'm sure many, many of our audience members do also. Uh, but when you bring up, when you say the words relationship, teacher, student, we all conjure up varying degrees of involvement. And I'm using the word involvement with quotes around it. In more cases than not, it's a perfectly legitimate kind of involvement. Students walk in looking for knowledge, they walk in looking for guidance, and they expect teachers to be repositories of all that is wonderful and golden knowledge and have the answers to everything. And teachers end up being people too, so they tend to disappoint in right. a sense. Yeah. And in one way they disappoint is, is paradoxically by teaching the student too well because students the good ones might just surpass the teacher <laughs> yes and that that happens in this well i don't want to say everything but there is an element of that in this play mm -hmm. i mean there you know i think that students forget like you said the human element of teachers i mean there's they have yeah. their weaknesses they they struggle with their emotions mm -hmm. feelings teachers are real people too Teachers are people. Um, so, you know, I, I you know, it, Collective Stories is just, it's been a joy to work on. It's, you know, like all plays that I, I direct, I, I find a lot of, uh, in the process, I feel like I like, like the actors. I'm going through figuring things out as we go along. Some I know in my mind ahead of time, but um, it's been one epiphany after another, and it's been wonderful. Okay, you're working with Helen Clark, um, accomplished actress, yep. uh, who we've seen all over the place most recently in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf yep. in the role of Honey, and Barbara Adams, who, uh, to, to the best of my recollection, is not what, what you call a regular actor, um, someone who performs regularly and, and uh, scripts. She's an uh, English professor at Ithaca College. Why'd you pick Barbara? Well, actually, uh, Barbara teaches writing at Ithaca College, and she 
has been attending Readers Theater Productions, and we became friends. And I, you know, I asked her, I'm, you know, what is it that you, what is your background? And, you know, she said that once upon a time she had performed. And when I read Collected Stories, which is often the case, I read a play and I think of an actor, um, she came to mind. And so I talked to her about it. I auditioned her. And, you know, she's been great to work with. I, I think she, she takes my notes very well. She's willing to take risks. She's willing to go the distance, which, you know, um, and, 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 you know, she is, she's embraced this role because I think it's very close to her in some ways. And um, well, I, she, she is a teacher. She is a teacher. Um, she understands this character. I mean, there are a lot of elements to this character that goes far beyond being a teacher. Um, you know, the relationship with the poet Delmore Schwartz, for example. I mean, Barbara understands this woman. So it's not that it's not that much of a stretch for her. It's mm -hmm. just that it's a little closer right. to home and she's she's really doing a phenomenal job, just like Helen. The two of them are working really well together. Great. You mentioned before about her taking notes and you, you touched on uh, directing. I know, I know you direct a lot of the Reader's Theater productions. Mm -hmm. um, again, as opposed to full ups, when it comes to directing something where the actors have books in hand, and from the performances I've seen, they are set on the set. They don't actually move. There's there's not a whole lot range of movement in some of the plays that I've seen. Yeah. Okay. With the notable exception, one of the notable exceptions of No Child, in which Cynthia Henderson played seven billion different characters all over the stage. As far as you as a director goes, what are the special challenges and what are the advantages? I mean, can you make up extra rehearsal time or extra rehearsal elements in the time that you might normally use for blocking? Um, well, some of the plays that we do um, are simple, straight up readings with music stands. Right. For example, K2 and last season. We chose to do it that way because, you know, it's a little difficult to create the mountain set Absolutely. in any yeah. theater, really. Um, but the actors, however, fully embraced the role and the play. So if you were to close your eyes, you would actually imagine them on the mountain. Um, mm -hmm. So some of the plays that I direct, um, it's as if everything was there except you're using your imagination. So they are staged. Um, I encourage the actors to be familiar enough with the script so that they don't have to look at it that much so that they can listen to each other engage move in the space you know we would have we have half the amount of rehearsals maybe even less than that we have about 10 to 15 rehearsals three hour rehearsals per play that we do which allows for the actors to live their lives mm -hmm. uh, do all the things that they need to do work full-time um, and then come to rehearsals and not feel that they've had to give up a job to just do a play. Do, do any of the actors remark about the 10 to 15 rehearsals? Um, I know from working with a lot of different companies, um, most of them do fewer rehearsals than that, but you seem to be heavy on rehearsals. What 
good thing, bad thing, uh, I'm assuming it's working for you. Oh yeah, no, I think it, it, I think it's great because the work that we do is, I think it's very good and it gives the actors a real chance to dig and sink their teeth into their characters and the play and get accustomed to moving on stage with the script in their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it allows them to reach, you know, I think of rehearsal, the re- rehearsal process for an actor is a journey. And there's that beginning, middle, and end phase. And if you're just gonna do a straight up reading, having one or two rehearsals is fine. But I ask the actors to go much further um, so that during that beginning, middle, and phase process, they really have a chance to watch themselves first there's there is a process for every actor of embracing the character and it takes time and i don't want to rush that you know what are the benefits for you as a director um i too have the same experience uh you know i'm i'm on the journey with the actors and i don't like to i mean i you're saying we have less rehearsal time i actually would love to have more um so. Well, in, in most companies and most shows I've been in, and the, the usual complaint is, we don't have enough rehearsal time. I want 12 more rehearsals. I'm not ready. Right. I mean, in many ways, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm thrusting actors into the process very quickly. Um, but, you know, I, I like to ask a lot from actors. I like, I like to do that. And I think that I want them to go as far as they possibly can, not just physically or verbally, but emotionally, so that the audience feels connected to the characters. And that takes time. I mean, that doesn't happen in a few rehearsals. No, these things need to, they need to cook. They need to grow up. They need to mature. They they need to evolve. Um, You know, how many plays have you been in where you get to the end of the run and you're still discovering things about the character that you want one more weekend to go through? Okay, so we, we, we listed your, your plays for um, this season. Collected Stories, God of Carnage, Should've, In a Forest Dark and Deep, Detroit. Why this range of plays? I mean, why these particular plays? I notice um, this is not the first play you've done by Donald Margulies, nor Yasmin Reza, nor Neil Labute. Um, obviously favorites of somebody in the company. Uh, so why are we presented with this particular lineup? Well, you know, I, uh, it's not so much the playwrights, um, although, you know, I am a fan of Donald Margulies' work and Neola Butte and Yasmina Reza. It just so happened that it worked out this way for this season. Um, it's, it's, um, all of these plays have strong messages and they're very well written and, uh, I'm certainly attracted to them. Um, I have a script reading committee. We discuss them. Not everybody agrees with me on my choices um, because ultimately I'm making the final decision, but we discuss them at length. And there are some plays that I've not put on on our uh, season list because some of the people in the script reading committee advise me not to. Um, but Such as? You want to give us an example? Um... No. <laughs> okay. No, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, say anything negative about any um, some of the plays that we haven't chosen or why. Well, I mean, in, in any artistic director's or executive director's job is play selection. I mean, as anybody in the business will tell you, there are 
you know, 12,000 playwrights for every venue out there. And no matter how good these plays are, I mean, there's another, you know, uh, God of Carnage out there someplace, something equally as brilliant that is going to languish in. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, in just talking about the plays, for example, I think it's a lot like when a director finds an actor they really like. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, Yasmina Reza is, is a brilliant playwright. Her comedy farce, she's nailed that to a T. And after, of course, after I worked on art, I just fell in love with her writing. I mean, it's hard not to. I mean, she's so talented. Um, and I also love that we're working with this season as two female writers, two male writers. Right. Um, Neil Labute has a certain, uh, besides the fact that we've become friends, um, I'm a big fan of some of his risk-taking risk in his work. Um, he does definitely take some risks, and at least in the review, some of those risks are emotionally questionable, right. I think. Right. I mean, not you know, some people will really love his work. Some people will hate it. Um, I happen to be a fan of his work. When I read In a Forest Dark and Deep, what I was drawn to right away was just dialogue, his dialogue, and the fact yeah. that he's moved from uh, scenes to plays that are just one long scene. It's, it's 90 minutes of two people talking, um, similar to The Mercy Seat, which, I, which we did last season. Um, when I think of uh, meeting newer writers, that's something that we're doing. I think we'll always have a relationship with Neil Labute. Um, he's become a, a, a big supporter of what we do. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in reading more of Michael Bartlett, for example, um, Edna Walsh. Uh, so there are there are a lot of other writers that I'm interested in tapping into. You mentioned talkbacks before, and those are a big part of your productions. Talking about plays, I was going to talk about criteria for play selection, which we've already kind of gotten into, but it seems that once you're considering the criteria for the plays themselves, you're coming up with the audience engagement at the end. I mean, the first part of this is the play going in one direction at the audience, and then you've got experts coming in from all around the surrounding counties um, to talk about these sorts of things and they get the audience feedback back on this. You engage the audience. Um, I'm assuming this is working out really well for you. Yeah, I I love, I, th I think our audiences really enjoy the talkbacks. I, I love bringing that aspect to theater. Um, you know, a lot of times when I was living in New York City, I would see a play and I would walk out. I'd be with my friends and we would just talk for hours about the play. Um, this is an opportunity for our audience members to literally have that conversation with each other following the play and hear somebody who's really studied the play, who knows about the play, to talk about it in a different way, with a different perspective. But often it's aligning with the playwright. It's, it's what they intend, mm -hmm. um, sometimes not. I mean, for example, uh, in A Forest Dark and Deep, I was telling Neil, we're gonna have talkbacks about race and racism since the main character is a racist in, in A Forest Dark and Deep. And right. he was a little bit surprised, like, oh, somebody's doing that with my play. Um, so I don't think that playwrights always intend for people to have that discussion. Um, they're just writing the story. 
Um, that brings up an interesting point. Um, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have figured Neil Butte would have been in touch with the critical response that his plays are getting. I mean, it's it seemed almost as if he was surprised that people were engaged in the character's you know, racism. Um, do, you, do you think that playwrights aren't aware of, in a large part of what their audience is thinking about their work, if there's criticism, if there's, you know. Well, I think that some playwrights are very in tune with what their audience, who they think their audience is and what they would like to see. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that some playwrights aren't thinking necessarily that there will be a group of people dissecting the play and discussing that character's a racist, and let's e examine that. I think that there are two different things. I mean, he, of course, is very well aware of the character he wrote. Well, well as, as he should yeah. be, yeah. <clears throat> um, and he, you know, and when you talk about risk-taking, I mean, unflinchingly, he, ex he looks at this character, he writes this character in a very true way. Um, the way someone would talk sure, who is yeah. a racist and it's ugly it's not pretty it's um well racism that's the yeah, nature of racism it's very it's, it's very the dark it, underbelly of, of human existence right yeah. but many playwrights won't go there um but it it provides an opportunity for discussion especially mm -hmm. in a community like this i mean communities all over the united states we need to be having the talk about race and racism anyway um but this is one of our roles the readers theater is to uh, make the connection, and this is why I choose some of the plays that, that, that I choose, make the connection between some of the important timely social issues that we face and theater. Okay, so you see theater as an instrument of social change. Absolutely, absolutely. It okay. can be, it can be. I mean, it, you know, some people will still come to readers' theater productions purely just for entertainment. Sure. Yeah. And some people will walk away and say, hmm, I learned something there about my children or my family or the people in my neighborhood as a producer as a playwright do you do you do you think believe have some kind of an emotional reaction to somebody saying that theater might be the main proponent of social change in the entertainment business today do you think it's more so than than you know movies you know, uh, big box movies or books and, and such? No, I, I, you know, I think that um, books, movies, uh, music, all of it. I can, you know, I can't say that theater is better than or is stronger than. I would say that, you know, because I personally listen to music every day. Mm -hmm. um, and music is not, it's not always theater, but it's music that often helps me just in life period yeah. with whatever it is that I may be feeling or going through so well, I yeah the, the reason I ask this yeah. is because as a playwright and who knows other playwrights and we're all we all submit okay uh, a lot of the places that we're submitting to only want stories about such and such or they only want politically charged stories or they only want feminist stories or they only want mm. um, you know demographically appropriate stories and it seems to me that a lot of the avenues and a lot of the channels out there are distinct in what they're looking for. That's that's true. Um, I but I I don't have 
to succumb to that pressure. Well, no, no, it's, it's not a question of succumbing to the pressure. I mean, every every theater is different. Right. And I'm I'm in no way mentioning that you're looking for a particular thing. I'm just talking about theater as an instrument because you, you've got um, you've got Detroit on the list. You've got In a Forest Dark and right. Deep. You've got plays that over the record of the past few years, like Frozen, okay, yep. all right, are especially able at poking the audience and bringing up issues that are difficult to deal with. Some, some. I mean, you brought up Frozen. Frozen, um, certainly by Brioni Lavery. I chose that. I mean, I chose it. Initially, I decided to do it because uh, my friend Doug Hughes directed it off-Broadway, and I was so impressed with his production, and I um, hadn't, I was, well, I was impressed with everything about the play. Um, I'm not one to shy away from a theater that might be sometimes difficult. Um, but Frozen, I would say, was the hardest play um, emotionally. But it was fabulous in the sense that, I mean, Frozen is about a, a woman whose child has gone missing. And, you know, certainly from the, from the director's point of view, and I was in that, I thought it was astounding what I learned about missing children and what parents go through mm-hmm. who have experienced that. And in fact, because I, I directed Frozen, because I went through that process, I will actually be able to, when things are ever feeling difficult for me, right. I think about a parent who has lost a child and, and, and has made, has been able to survive in the world and it was that play that brought that to my character, you know, as a person in the world. It, it, it gave me insight because, you know, we often see it in the news. We see, exactly. you know, yeah, we see this in the like news, every but other day, it's, you know, it's every other day. This, every milk carton we come across you know, we used to have a picture of a, right. mis- of, a, of a missing child. And art imitates life. That's an old saw, but it's true with every, you know, piece of art, no matter what it might be, that's that's foisted upon the, you know, the, the public. And if it is such, and it is true, then it has to imitate, it has to reflect, it has to show the things that are difficult to look at, the things that are difficult to digest, and the things that flat out hurt us emotionally. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want people to think that if they come to the Reader's Theater, they're going to be emotionally exhausted. Because, no, no, I mean, no, 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 not, you know, not, not, not that's like that. Not, that's not there, are, there are subjects that are works of art. Right. And they reflect the human condition. And that's what truth in theater is all about. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, when, when we did Frozen, I, um, I it was with Ruby, Max Fury, and Judith Andrew and myself. And, you know, we covered the back wall with um, all the uh, missing uh, posters, missing right. children posters. And, you know, uh, IPD Chief John Barber and former um, Chief John, uh, Ed Vallelie spoke about what a community can do when a child goes missing. And, you know, a lot of communities don't know that the first 24 hours, 48 hours are imperative. And, you know, um, I think stores know 
what to do, locations know what to do when there's a lockdown, things like that. But um, it's really eye-opening. I mean, I think that's why actors love to be actors is because they get to experience for a few months um, or a few weeks, they get to put themselves in the shoes of another person in the world. And to play a woman who's lost her child, I... I, I don't want to ever do it again, but it was, uh, it really... It's, it's got to be an extremely it was, painful it was thing painful. to go through. It was painful, but it was also really eye-opening. Theater is political. Theater is, as, as I said before, can be used as an instrument of social change. And in addition to presenting really, really good plays, right? Um, over the years, I've seen, I've seen Reader's Theater do some remarkable plays, everything from True West to No Child. You are now, you've just announced, okay that you are going to be working with a couple of other organizations about another extremely difficult matter, um, bullying, which thankfully over the past few years has gotten the limelight shown upon it because that's one of the things that's always been brushed under the, you know, un under the carpet. It's, it's embarrassing for the, for the kid who's bullied. It's difficult to deal with the bully themselves. Um, very few schools or communities know how to deal with this sort of thing. Um, what made you turn to this? Um, you know, I, I'm a news junkie and I, um, I, you just, you can't escape it. If you read the news, uh, if you're a news junkie, you're going to see in the news how many suicides there have been because teenagers have been bullied and then they resort to suicide. Um, it's, it's very sad. So, um, you know, a lot of people on the artistic board, they all have a cause for the Readers Theater, all the artistic uh -huh. board of the Readers Theater. They all have a cause. So, you know, in getting to know them and in getting to know what they care about, we all agreed that it's important for the Readers Theater to have a cause. And a lot of plays are written about bullying these days. So it makes sense for us. So we've decided to team up with two local organizations, Acting Out New York and Ithaca's Suicide Prevention and Crisis Service with our national partner, um, Pacers National uh, Prevention Bullying Center um, in Minnesota. And I researched a lot of different websites before I found Pacers, but they have the most in-depth, involved material about bullying that will help teachers, students, administrators, parents who are dealing with bullying. And every, every school is to some degree. Every community is dealing with it. Um, there isn't an easy answer. I think that the, and I, I'm certainly not the expert, but um, what we are going to do is create an annual video, a uh, short, maybe three to 10 minute annual video, where we interview youth in the community with um, Lee Allen, who is the executive director of the Suicide Prevention and Crisis Service, and others um, who can talk about their experience uh, dealing with bullying or what they've seen or what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, I think it's a case by case situation. And, um, you know, that's why it's so complicated because no two, no two people who are, you know, no bully and the person who's being bullied is ever the same. They're, they're, 
No, it's, 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 it's a lifelong scar for both of them. Yep, yep. So, um, you know, uh, one of the other reasons that I decided to do this with the Reader's Theater is because of the play that we're doing, God of Carnage, by Yasmina Reza. And even though God of Carnage is a light, farcical play, comedy, it, sh it will have people laughing, there's that undercurrent of why are these two parents... These two couples coming together. They're coming together because one of their children is bullying another. You know, we really do see in this play how they themselves become bullies to each other. Interesting that you, that you termed it light and farcical in a sense. Um, I've read the play several times, and at least in, in my estimation, neither one of those adjectives would appeal to it. I found God of Carnage to be... Um, scary as all get out oh, really? no honestly it's it's I've, i i saw the basically people turning on each other and the human condition and people who love each other revealing things and being put in you know pressure situations where things start to go wrong people start to say the wrong things and the masks come off and underneath the masks are some very savage brutal thing so it's 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 interesting the way different people see these things well i mean i would agree with you i think that it's very savage but you know you know as a playwright and director actor that comedy and drama they always overset they they overlap each other sure, yeah. um and so we often laugh audiences laugh at what we find, I mean, you know, Woody Allen, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure. a lot of his characters are doing crazy things and unheard of things and savage things, but people still laugh. And I, and I, I think that he might be a pretty good example of that. And some of actually even, I hate to say this, but it's true, even um, in the mercy seat, as dark of a play as it was, I mean, a lot of people were laughing, um, which... Kind of surprised me, but... Well, well, laughter is a natural release for being uncomfortable. Right, right. And it's not that, you know, it's the Three Stooges are throwing pies at each other. It's a question of, find, you know, human psyche dealing with something it doesn't want to deal with and finding something in there that tweaks a release button. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah. Well, Amory Cummings, it has been an absolute thrill having you here today. Um, for all of our, uh, our our radio audience, all seven hundred thousand of them, um, tell us where they can find more information. And by the way, where where is your stuff performed? Oh, um, we are performing at the Black Box Theater at Lehman Alternative Community School, which is one eleven Chestnut Street in the city of Ithaca. And people can learn more by going to the Readers Theater. Dot com that's theater with an re at the end and if people are interested in seeing collected stories it's september 27th through the 29th just one weekend only and they can call 607-217-6272 which is our reservation number fantastic thank you so much good luck with your season and looking forward to seeing these productions thank you thank you so much